Abolition. Abolition. Now, I can imagine there would be people listening to me, if they're still listening, who might be thinking, come on, this is all ancient history. Why does this matter? Things have changed. Can't we just get over it and move on? But I would argue, for me, certainly, learning this history has brought a real shift in the way that I understand racism today. To review, two quick takeaways from what I've said so far. One, race is not a thing biologically. It's a story some people decided to tell. And two, people told that story to justify the brutal exploitation of other human beings for profit. I didn't learn those two facts in school. I suspect most of us didn't. If you did, you had a special teacher. But once they sink in, For one thing, it becomes clear that racism is not mainly a problem of attitudes, of individual bigotry. No, it's a tool. It's a tool to divide us and to prop up systems, economic, political, and social systems that advantage some people and disadvantage others. And it's a tool to convince a lot of white folks who may or may not be getting a great deal out of our highly stratified society to support the status quo. Could be worse, at least I'm white. At what point did poor European people that used to rebel against the ones that forced them to work land they didn't own and die with nothing of their own, what was it that turned their hearts so that they start to identify with power even though they're powerless? Identify with wealth even though they're broke. It's the invention of whiteness. They call you white by white fans. Damn what they talking about. You man first. Sin and curse. The dirty hand that first crafted the plan. Spread it through the land and shattered the damn earth. This is sickest system that ever existed. Since this earth's beginning commenced its twisting. How you convince a man with rare blood to bleed? Completely devalue what a human being means. Nobody called themselves white several centuries ago. They were living off the land with the trees. They were Dutch. They were Irish. They were German. They were Greek with culture, families, tradition, and beliefs. And rich blood suckers on new soil to seize. And they ain't about to get their hands dirty, crack a please. Swindled you to trade in your identity. Showed you pie in the sky. Promised you a peace with symbolic image in the scripture that you read. White holy angels and black evil demons. You were so starving that you started to believe it. Now you die colonizing for somebody else's greed. Don't you see the overseers is still in the field? Every breath of water and breeze is still in the jail. You will never own that farm or the prison for real. Terrified of the time when your victims rebel. Listen, you don't fear them, you fear the blood on your hand. All the ugly you've done to that man, that woman, that child, that land, that sea, that sky. That they look you in the eye and demand that you tell them why. All them years whipping and lying and killing. Generations of poison and bombing and drilling. All designed to turn the hearts of your children to stone. Got post-traumatic slave master syndrome. How the hell are y'all gonna heal, be made whole? You identifying with the people in control. You can't throw a human in the bottom of a boat. Unless somebody got a damn chain around your soul. In that middle passage asking who got soul. A hot auction block where your blood ran cold. And every day a cop let them shots explode. You're gonna have to find a way to regain your soul. I said that I can't see. 
itself It can't sit back, critique itself And peep itself, it need help Take the sword for example No matter how hard it can carve its own hands Said the high can't see itself It can't sit back, critique itself And peep itself, it need help Take the sword for example No matter how hard it can carve its own hands the inner city of our cities is like another country. The rules are different. It's almost like you need a passport there. The police treat people differently. When I lived out in the suburbs, if my car broke down on the highway and a state trooper pulled up behind me, I wouldn't have been scared. I'd have been glad. But young man after young man after young man have been beaten by the police. And the only way you know you got to be with the people, and we live separated. We go in air-conditioned cars, and we stick on our interstates and hang out with people just like us. Well, by God's grace, I was brought into this and seeing how race plays a part and how poverty plays a part. And my job is to go out to the American people. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard The Lie That Invented Racism by John Bewin, followed by Before They Called You White by Brother Ali. Peace and blessings be upon you. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archives podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and federal dragon slayer, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. (laughs) Peace, Brother Yusuf. I am streaming live from the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. Awesome, awesome. So last last week we reported how we, you know, national nationwide abolitionist groups made history over and over again this election season by abolishing slavery, constitutional slavery in two states, Nebraska and Utah. And we also uh had successes in returning voting rights to formerly incarcerated individuals in California as well as opening up the Alabama Constitution to remove racist and pro-slavery language. And we changed the name of a state, formerly Rhode Island Plantations. So this week, we'll be joined shortly by our guest, international news contributor, professor of mathematics, and founder of the annual Burn and Bury event, John Sims. Before we jump into that, uh, Max, uh, you know, that was a great opening. (laughs) Great opening, Ali, you know. Man. Yeah, man, you're talking about if you if you need something that's going to get you fired up for a particular topic. Yeah, that was the track right there, man. That was the yes. track. And it was a nice <laughs> follow up behind the uh, statements regarding the creation of race and racism. So I thought that was a really good follow up behind it. Brother Ali killed it though. <laughs> Absolutely. And just by happenstance, I just happened to run across the article. It's entitled Seeing White, How Race Was Made. And it's an actual interview of John Bywin. You know, so we're going to get that up on our page, you know, so we can get some more uh, detail behind who he is and why he was making a statement of that nature. 
So, uh, how's your week, man, Max? Uh, it's been very, very uh, exciting, man. You know, I was telling my peoples recently, if they could just be a fly on the wall to some of these conversations that we've been having all, all across America, uh, leaders at every level, political as well as local, uh, and really bringing this abolitionist movement together. Uh, we had a conversation yesterday with uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Hughes, who is the man mm-hmm. behind the Vermont uh, legislation to remove their exception clause. And, you know, they were the first ones to have an exception clause, Vermont. So that is right. really monumental. And they've already got the legislation going through. So it's almost done. And they'll no longer have slavery in their state constitution. The first state to do it will finally end it. So let's hope that they uh, show an example with that, like these other states have done. That's awesome. And also courtesy of Brother Ivan Kilgore, who's behind enemy lines, and also Brother Kinetic and Benu, who you will hear on live from the plantation every Thursday right here on Abolition Today. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a discussion with – it was a it's a virtual discussion, of course. You know how things are these days. So we had a huge Zoom discussion with about a dozen professors, educators of African-American history, doctors, lifelong activists who had been working as far back in the 60s on issues uh, from three different universities they came together. And so it was the three brothers who are behind bars and me. I was the only one invited who he wasn't either a prisoner or academic, which I felt very humbled at. And uh, we broke down the whole scenario of what's going on here with modern slavery and human trafficking. And these academics were very much behind what we were talking about. And, you know, when it got to the point where they said, well, what can we do to help? And, of course, you know how I roll. I keep it simple, man. We've got to get on the same narrative. you got to stop right. calling this something that it's not because it's only confusing the hell out of people. We're charging crimes against humanity. And if you're saying it's a caste system or a system of racism or a class system, you're not really pointing at the crime. you know. And basically you're countering our entire argument. So they're, they're agreeing to that, and they've already started putting together uh, different papers and books that they're working on and that have already been published that uh, tell the story we're trying to tell. I mean, basically we're under control because they control, according to Sharon Smith, which I agree with, the narrative, the processes, and the resources, right? So we can't right. really control the processes and the resources, but then we can control our own narrative. We don't need somebody to tell us what's wrong with us and how we should fix it. We, we're in it. We know. <laughs> right. You know, it's part of the Abolish Slavery National Network. I know you and uh, Dennis Febo are in charge of the state organizations. So you have any, any type of update that you want to give us for that? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, it's uh, we're co-directors of state operations, and these just you know just titles that we're given so everybody knows what we're trying to do. You know what I mean? It's nothing all right. that prestigious. But in any case, uh, we're organizing uh, the states, as you know, all across America. And this mm-hmm. coming Tuesday, the seventeenth, the Abolish Slavery National Network is having a nationwide orientation. So it's our their first of their kind. Where all of these organizers all across America, representatives, political representatives, as well as grassroots organizations, are going to come together and we'll be providing them with information packets, having discussions, and taking questions and comments. It's going to be 
It's historic, man. So that's the 17th. If you want to be a part of that, we're going to send out one more invitation on Monday. So go to, right now, abolishslavery.us and then sign up there on the, not the contact, but the, the sign up to support sheet right there. And you can also make a donation while you're at it because, you know, we can't live on love alone at city center. You feel me? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> but go ahead and sign up to get on the mailing list uh, so that you can be a part of this historic event on the 17th. No, nah, this is great. And I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, I cleared my calendar for that entire day. So I can't wait to hear everyone. So I understand we have a guest coming in today, Max. Uh, yeah, you know, let me let me uh, put a couple more updates real quick, and then I'll do a full introduction of my I guess. Oh, there's more. The wait, wait, there's more. Okay. Yeah, but uh, listen, John, if you're on the line, press one on your keypad so that I know that number is yours. Because we have a, a, a few people already listening in via phone. So just press one on your keypad so that I know that it's you. I think that all those ones might be you, but we'll find out. <laughs> all right, so uh, <laughs> there's a couple of other things that's coming up I want to say, but in addition, I wanted to say that the brothers on the inside, particularly the Free Alabama Movement, who host uh, live from the plantation every Thursday, they're organizing mm-hmm. on the inside as well in support of the work that we're doing. So we're working together on the inside and the outside with this narrative to be able to do the things that we need to do. And I'm so proud to see that. I mean, they had their own version of a national call just Saturday, and uh, a lot of people spoke on it. That was uh, very insightful, inspiring uh, things to hear, and uh, they are down. It was great to hear all these people on the phone who was like in agreement about the Thirteenth Amendment and how we need to abolish it. So that's there's that. We got two important events coming up. That's December second and December sixth. Mm-hmm. Now, why are they important? December second is the international recognition for the day of of slavery abolition. So that's December 2nd. And then December 6th is the anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment. So on the 2nd, we're doing a live stream event, which could have some wonderful spoken word artists, as well as music videos from the abolitionist music list uh, for that event of December 2nd. So you'll be able to see that streaming live. Some of the performances will be right here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. So make sure that you follow us at Abolition Today on Facebook so you can get the links to that. Um, And then on the 6th, we're actually going to Alabama to talk with the people from Amendment 4 as well as to participate in a couple of rallies and visit a um, slave auction in Alabama, what used to be a slave auction, and say a few words there as well. So this is in support of the brothers who are behind bars over there trying to find a way to get their freedoms. So we're going to Alabama physically. It'll be me, Tribal Rain, and Savannah Eldridge. And we'll be there for two days and a night. So if you're in Alabama, come by and check out Max Parthas. And again, follow Abolition Today so that you can have the updates on when and where. All right? All right. Well, yes, we do have a a great guest today. Me and his brother go back a few years uh, we've been in the trenches together for sh- for real, for real, and we've even lost mutual friends along the way. So uh, John Sims is a Detroit native conceptual artist and writer. He creates art and curatorial projects spanning the areas of installation, performance, text, music, film, and large-scale activism informed by mathematics, design, 
the politics of white supremacy, sacred symbols, anniversaries, and poetic political texts. For 20 years, he has been working on the forefront of contemporary mathematical art and leading the nation pushback on Confederate iconography. Well, my wife just walked in from Vegas. Hey, baby. I happen to be live on air. (laughs) Well, currently he is an artist in residency at the Ringling Museum, where he developed the performance piece 2020 DI Visions of America. He is also now wrapping his two-decade national art activism project, Recoloration Proclamation, which explores, re- explores, re-examines, and remixes Confederate iconography. Iconography? Is that how you pronounce? Iconography. Iconography. Yeah, iconography. As it relates yeah. to the African-American experience. The project features recolored Confederate flags, a hanging installation in Gettysburg, a 13th Southern States Confederate flag funeral and uh, video site-specific performances, a play, a collection of experimental films, the music project Afro-Dixie remixes, the annual Burn and Berry Confederate flag memorial, which I helped uh, participate in and organize here in the South, and most recently, the outside performance in Kennedy Museum exhibition of the proper way to hang a Confederate flag. At Ohio University Over the years His work has incorporated more than 150 collaborators Including poets, musicians And artists throughout the country His work has been featured in the New York Times Washington Post, Wall Street Journal CNN, NBC News USA Today, NPR The Guardian, Think Process Al Jazeera, Art in America, Scripture Science News, Nature and Scientific America and he has written for CNN, Al Jazeera, The Huffington Post, uh, Guernica Magazine, and The Rumpus, and The Griot. Wow. There's all that and a whole lot more. So I think this all ones number might be my brother John. I'm going to check right here. John Sims, is that you on the line? That's, that's me, my brother. <laughs> all right. Welcome. Yes, we can hear you. Welcome to Abolition Today, man. It's good to uh, be able to talk yeah, to you again. You. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, brothers, for having me on the show. So, yeah, yeah man, that's a heck of a, a, a heck of a list you got there, man. You got all kinds oh, man, of stuff going on. Just trying to, trying to, you know, work it through, man. But I want to thank you again. You know, every time I talk to you, you know, Brother Maxapter, thank you for receiving me into your uh, residency way back in 2015 <laughs> when we came there to do that incredible installation at the state capitol in Columbia with the Confederate flag, right? Fourth of July. I'll never and, forget uh, it, man. And yep. we burned the Confederate flag. We, we got 13 people in the, ex, in the ex formation of the Confederate flag, those stars, and under the watchful eye of uh, uh, state trooper snipers, am I right? Yes. Mm. Roof and, and, uh, Yo, that was that was incredible. Uh, and then I think a couple weeks later, that Confederate flag came down from that uh, flagpole. Well, that day, remember they kidnapped uh, Brother Muyadine, who was later murdered. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That's so right. you know, we That's took right. a picture That's... after that. We had like a group picture, and everybody looked like their right. best friend just got beat up. You know, we was all angry right, looking. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, that was incredible. And um, and then you know. 
And for him to pass like that, that was also like, you know, it's just warfare on every level. You know what I mean? Yeah, he has such uh, a bright future, Muyadin Dibai. Yeah, yeah. Such a bright future. Yeah. He was talking about running for a Senate at one point. I think he could have made it. He, you know, he was the leader of the Black Lives Matter organization right. here in South Carolina. He was behind a lot of stuff, including the Burn and Bury events. He was right there yeah, in the middle. Was, and when yeah, the cops right came, there. they targeted right. him. That's right. Yeah. Well, no, because he was straight up in protest because when the cops came over, they wanted us to all like put our fires out. Remember? Mm Mm-hmm. And he refused. He refused to let to blow on the fire and take it out. He held it up in the cops' face. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like we are equal, brothers. We are equal. Yeah, yeah. We are going to burn white supremacy down. I was like, oh my god. Right, right, right. (laughs) And they, you know, and they just waited for him to like whatever. And then they were like, oh, you got to come with us. And they detained him or whatever. And we all we walked over too, there with yeah. him together. We all walked together. <laughs> and we was chanting uh, uh, Sada Shakur. <laughs> we must right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah, that was crazy, man. I'll drop like, those videos yeah, but, but, on Abolition today. But you know what's interesting to me is that, you know, I've been giving these Zoom talks, and very often students, you know, to primarily students, and students will ask me questions about, like, you know, the power of art to really make changes. And and that's been sticking me for a minute because, you know, particularly with this Confederate flag work, you know, I took this work to Gettysburg. I invited a Mary Baraka to come down to read the death warrant for the Confederate Rest flag. We were gonna hang it from a mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. We're gonna rank, we're gonna hang it from a thirteen foot gallows and all that. And and then what happened, uh the sons of Confederate veterans put pressure on the school, the school ended up, you know, compromising the show, whatever. And it got it got kind of shrinked up a little bit. But what I realized would push this Confederate pushback on a major level wasn't like art and conversations and legislation. It's the death of black bodies, man. You know, those nine folks who died in that church, right? Right after mm-hmm, our Charleston, event, uh, when we did our event, right? In Charleston, yep. that's when people start pushing back on the Confederate flag, right? That's when the governor of South Carolina, like, okay, we gotta take the flag down. And the same thing now with these uh, monuments that are coming down. It took George Floyd to to, to 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 be murdered. Discussion. So it's 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 very disheartening that it really takes the like the loss of life and critical loss to push these these issues that you think on some level are very basic, and that we should be able to negotiate. By having a, a you know a deep you know smart conversation about what makes sense, and uh, that, that's that's pretty. Um, I know it just makes you really question how far we come in terms of humanity, in terms of um, moving our brains in ways that make sense. And very mm-hmm. often, you know, it takes critical death to make people move. You I know remember. What I mean? uh... When the flag came down here in South Carolina, as you mentioned, what led up to it was the murder of nine innocent people in a church, including a black state senator. And the man who murdered them lived a mile from my house. That's how close I I was to all of that. As a matter of fact, I'm the one that got you the dirt through my people over there when you was doing the the, the thing. So that 
that led to the Confederate flag coming down, which was incredibly inspiring to the people of the South, because that's the capital that it came down. Right. It's not like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. This is the capital of the South, the right. first to see the exactly. last to come back. And for mm-hmm. generations, we've been trying to get that flag to come down. Imagine what it feels like to be a black man or woman walking under that flag up into the right. uh, capital of South Carolina. You know, it's a threat at all times. So the symbolism of that meant something to us, although to some northerners and westerners, they didn't think so. But it ain't up to them to think. We were the ones who were being influenced by it. Right. No, that's very important, because even with the flag work I was doing, I started it off, you know, at a Soho gallery in Harlem and just became very clear here in the South. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, right. and 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 the consequences and the art elements and the legislative element, all that stuff needs to percolate right here and then push it forward across the rest of the country. And so that's why I started the Burn and Berry uh, thing, which actually what we did in um, Charleston, I mean, I mean in, in Columbia at the state capitol, that was really the first one because I did a fifty state. I organized the 50 state one, and I said, "Let me go down to, let me go down to South Carolina, right?" And um, been doing it every year since, and uh, trying to make it a ritual, and trying to make it a thing that really um, gets folks to think about uh, confronting the symbols of, of white supremacy and the Confederacy, but also paying homage to the social justice veterans who've like paved the way. And I think that's very, very important um, in doing that on Memorial Day. But I don't know, like this year, 2020, you know, on Memorial Day when I did it as a Zoom thing, y'all know what happened on Memorial Day, right? Yes. George no, Floyd got murdered. <laughs> oh, right, right. So, right, like, right. 10 minutes after we finished up that, you know, we did this whole, uh, you know, Ritual thing. One of the presenters was reading off the names of all the black folks that got killed in 2015 by cops and that whole thing. Then we had the George Floyd thing pop off. So it's just, it's just, um, it's just crazy um, how this is just all coming down. And being in this Black Lives Matter moment, I just hope that we can direct this energy and consolidate it in a way to get some real changes. You follow what I'm saying? Like yes, real, well, real, you ain't got a hope. You ain't got a hope because we are doing that. Yeah. Like we just changed yeah, six yeah. state constitutions. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Nobody can't tell us yeah, we yeah, ain't yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, that, yeah that, that, that's you know? what I, I guess what I mean that less about like opposing forces, but it's important for us black folks, particularly, to like hold on to that energy and continue to organize and, and believe we can. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and that, and and also hold people to the fire and be like, look, we can't wait to every every time somebody died to get new stuff. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mean, that's we, too we much. Can't, like, yeah, too much. Yeah, you can't do that. You know, you got it. You got to intellectualize it. You have to emotionalize it in, in a way to keep it moving and not make it a complete um, reactive experience to murder and death, fear. And so, how do how how we Take this energy and move it forward in a proactive way. So one of the things, so this is interesting. So when the whole uh, Confederate flag, Confederate, you know, pushed with all the monuments and it went global, 
I start thinking about the Confederate uh, monuments right here in Sarasota and and, and, in Florida. And um, I remember just a couple blocks away from my studio, there was a uh, Confederate marker there for Judah, Judah P. Benjamin. I don't know if you know who he is, but he is, yeah, he is the first, no, he is, he was the Secretary of State of the Confederacy, and he was considered the brains of the Confederacy, right? And he escaped from Virginia, wherever he was, came down to Florida, went to Sarasota, this is where I'm at, and he fled the country, went down to the Caribbean, and ended up in England, and went to Paris or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there was a marker here that's been here for 20 years. No, for more than that, since 1941. And uh, I thought this was amazing. Like, what the hell? What the hell is this about? Now, the other's Jewish. Right. Okay? Judah P. Benjamin. Right? So I'm like, what's up with this? Now, when they put that marker here in Sarasota, it was uh, fronted by the Daughters of the Confederacy, the, the United Daughters of the Confederacy. In 1941, mm-hmm. we're sending black people to go over and fight in Germany. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, so right. I thought that was just, that's really interesting. So I went down there and I said, okay, I got to write an op-ed piece. And um, before I get the piece published, the city manager found out about it had it removed, which was cool. Then I ended up having that piece published in the Tampa Bay Times. And then after that piece was published, I found out that there was a, a former slave plantation in two towns over that was named after this Judah P. Benjamin character as a memorial that is also a state park. Follow what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. The whole damn yeah, city's name, Robert oh, yeah, E. Lee yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm, so I'm like, wait a minute. Here, right underneath the nose, you know, I've been running around and burning flags going on. And right underneath, here we have a former slave plantation that is a Confederate memorial to Judah P. Benjamin. And it's also a, it's a state park. So my state money goes to that. I was like, oh, hell no, this don't make no sense. This don't make any sense. So I started this petition, and, you know, I want to let your, view, your, your viewers and listeners know about that. But um, And then I realized that Florida has some really crappy, crazy, racist, pro-Confederate laws on the books. Like, there's one statute that states that it's prohibitive to desecrate a Confederate flag. And... Um, like what's up with that? You would say okay, and it was in, it was instituted in uh, 1961. It wasn't like 18 something, right? 1961. What's up with that? And it's still yeah, on the book. Right. It's still on the books, right? So, um, I, so I put that in the petition or whatever. But what got me really, um, you know, really aggravated was like thinking about these slave plantations opportunity to confront these slave plantations and part of my mission with the one here in Florida is to kind of take it over really you know what I'm saying so um, trying to organize some some support around that but I really think as a nation we really need to grab up these slave plantations 
they really need to be confiscated and put into a national trust. You follow what I'm saying? And yes. make those face make those faces available to the descendants of the Afri- you know, of African slaves and those descendants and um and right, and then those become resource places, people can start thinking about connecting their history and all that. But I really think we need to go and um and start confronting these slave plantations. Because if if because they were uh you know how back you know, back in the eighties or even now, like if you do a crime and you uh you know, you buy a car with the crime money or a house or whatever, the feds come in right. and confiscate it, right? Right. Right. So if you believe that slavery is a crime, a crime against humanity, then the prosperity and the land and all the instruments should be confiscated. That's what I think. I agree with you on that. That's actually a good damn idea. Um, Yeah. So confiscate. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to bring. So that's kind of where I'm pushing my work into that space. So I actually met with a state rep, and on this plantation, check this out. There is the Florida headquarters of. Uh, United Daughters of the Confederacy. Why is the, da- the United Daughters of the Confederacy got their own building on this former wow. slave plantation, which is now a state park? Aren't being they the subsidized by, by, yeah, it's being subsidized by Florida taxpayers. So Aren't they the ones right that now, changed all our narratives in the history books in order yes, to be more yeah, sympathetic I, to the South? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the daughters of the Confederacy, like straight up, and they and they and they hooked it up in such a way they become these parts and they become part of public funding and all of that. So I was talking to the state rep, and I was like, "Yo, we need to have descendants, you know, sons and daughters of African slave society as organization and being up in these spaces." You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, well, we have um, one even. We have one better. We have the Abolish Slavery National Network. I mean, I get what you're yeah, saying, right? You know, yeah, I, so I, I definitely so, get the sentiment behind what you're saying. Well, it's more than the system. See, here's the thing. One is about a genealogy situation, right? When mm-hmm. you say sons and daughters of blah blah blah. So now right. that's going to invite people to move back into their history, right? My great great grandfather was there, right? So that's very important. I think also the uh, the activist elements of being able to address slavery going forward in the present, what's happening in terms of mass incarceration, what's happening in terms of religious slavery, like there's all kinds of slavery that's happening on many levels. We can get to that later in the conversation. But I'm talking about in terms of us moving beyond people of color, moving beyond some of this uh, nomenclature of being black, because they got black people in India, but specifically connecting our history to the economics of slavery. You follow what I'm saying? And how that slavery has created and shaped a particular culture, I think is worthy of like contextualizing in terms of the forfeiture of land, i.e. slave plantations. I think we should own that. Like the Native Americans got a little bit of whatever they got, I think we should we should we we should we should take that, and so 
Um, I don't know how that would happen, but I think that's something that we should be, you know, talking about in this moment uh, as we move beyond, hey, taking down these various monuments, Confederate monuments. Yeah, we got to take it over, replace it with what? Okay, we're thinking about that. But also as we move towards these slaves, like Monticello, like the, the Jefferson, we should shit, we should take that. Like for real, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if we're gonna be serious about it, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying, and that should be put into a national trust, and um, and maybe uh, figure out how revenues could go into a national trust to create opportunities and education or whatever. Um, but hopefully, we're in that space that we can have these kind of daring ideas on some level. Um, hey, I got a and, question uh, for you, brother. Yeah, yeah. I was reading the Grand Unified Theory of John Sims from Culture. Oh, you were reading that, okay? Okay, yes, okay. Oh, yeah. Magazine dot com. And everything right. we're talking about tonight, uh, if you're listening, you can find it on our page at Abolition Today on Facebook. We're putting it up as we talk about it. And you had a quote in there, and I want to ask you a question about it. You said, right. I'm hunting down your symbols and bringing them to justice. Like you were coming through my community looking for black men to hang. Mm-hmm. What is the most racist symbol you are aware of? Um, the most racist symbol? Yes, the most racist monument that you are completely aware of. I don't know, man. I really think on an abstract level, in terms of symbols, I think mm-hmm. of the U.S. I think of the U.S. dollar as a racist symbol. You know what I'm saying? When I really look at the dollar and what it represents in terms of capitalism, in terms of like power dynamics, in terms of racism, monetizing racism. You know, like when you look deep into that, that currency um, is very, very powerful. And what's what's interesting about it, it's also very seductive and confusing. You know what I mean? The dollar dollar itself, what it represents, is very racist. Slave catches on it. it, it, Right, exactly. Like, you know. The, you know this this currency system that 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 holds together a trading system that we as black people were a fundamental part of in the beginning and genesis of this country, and so I think that American dollar for me um, is complicated, right? You know, it's just like white supremacy, like lighter is better, or this or that, or. You know, it's like it's so complicated because there's a seductive element to it. But if you dig deep, you realize how how it supports white supremacy on this incredible level. And the money. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I think of it, you know, so that's why, I'm. you know, it's like and so when we and now when we move into the space of putting Harriet Tubman on the money, you see how you get. That's shameful as far as I'm concerned. Like, why would you even think of something like that? If like somebody, can you imagine somebody buying another person with Harriet Tubman's? Like, like really just literally buying a human being on a slave market right. with Harriet Tubman's. Is that what you right. think she wants her face to be used for? Or some right, coke? Right, or some right. sex? Or anything? Right, that money right, is right, so right, touches right. that's so nasty and evil. 
Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do want to yeah. say that uh, as a mathematician, chaos right. is subject to initial conditions. And to hear you say that That's we right. started off all of that began right there in Columbia. I am honored right. to have been part of those initial conditions. And it's gone global since then. You've really gotten a oh, lot of, of international course, attention since then, yeah, and I, which and is I, awesome. Listen, I, yeah, and I appreciate you holding the fire um, because this is a lifelong thing. You know, um, it's also a lifestyle. Now, here's the thing. I, you know, I've been working on this, this project for 20 years, this flag stuff. So I want to bring it back. I'm doing a retrospective, so I'm getting ready to, like, you know, I'm looking for venues, but I'm in talks with different folks from um, in South Carolina because I want to bring the retrospective. And the idea is to bring it there where we, we break it up into three parts, have one in, in, in Columbia, one in, in Sum- Fort Sumter, and one in uh, Charleston. And, you know, because Fort Sumter, that's where the Civil War started. You know Dude, I mean? I'm, I'm right a couple of miles from it. I'm right across yeah, the street yeah. so, from so, so, Shaw AFB. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I want to bring that. So here's my idea: to bring it to South Carolina and make the whole state part of the show, and then do a documentary film, and then that way we can go back and tell the story. You know what I'm saying? And and hit it through those different places, and um and then really um. And then you know, and, and, and you know, get it, get it in places where it can be seen, and you know, well, like like you're supposed to. Let me share a quote yeah. for you, and then let you know like where I'm gonna stand in that effort. A friend of right. ours, who's one of the leaders in the Jailhouse Lawyers Speak organization, he said, "The biggest racist monument is the Thirteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution," and we really felt that because. Mm-hmm. Slavery continues because of that 13th right. Amendment, and that is indeed right. a racist mo- monument. So, you know, I'm putting it out there like for the headhunter. If you're hunting them racist monuments, <laughs> there's a big right. one there, too. Right. And money yeah, may yeah. be comparable. So you, you, yeah, you, I think you add that one. Yeah, because the money is tied up into that. But here's the other thing, my brother, I want to like split with you about for a minute. So, you know, we've got slavery that happen levels, right? Slavery of the body. You grab somebody up, you take them against their will, you brought, you know, and you got the slavery of the mind and the slavery of the spirit. You follow what I'm saying? So even if you got the 13th Amendment all, like, taken care of and abolished or whatever, you still got a whole lot more work to do because slavery of the mind Exist beyond enclosures and six walls well, and all of that. I, I got and, friends who have been in solitary confinement for forty years, and they're not trying to hear no comparison of slavery to the mind to their physical torture for forty years in solitary yeah, well, confinement, being brutalized well, and you, beaten. You know. Well, wait, wait. I want to respond to that, particularly yeah. being a mathematician, because the because you know who you are is part body, part mind, part spirit. It's all of that. You know what I'm saying? There are people right now who are in cults, you know what I'm saying, who are in spaces they can't move. They can't go nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're in total mind control. And you talking about Fox viewers? I, I, Fox <laughs> viewers? But no, but this is real. This is what I'm saying. Scientology, Jehovah Witness. I think black folks, we need Why to, you want to talk about my like, mama like that? <laughs> hey, hey, listen, you know what I'm saying, man. It's uh-huh. like, 
we have to like examine and really have a real, you know, critical examination of our relationship to these kinds of like systems that have a certain level of control and enslavement that is real, that is very, very, very real. And so I think that's something we have to really think about. Now, I just found out, I don't know if you know this, but the Honorable Louis Farrakhan is pushing Scientology now. He's also a slavery abolitionist, too. (laughs) You you know know what I'm saying? (laughs) You follow what I'm saying? He's pushing Dianetics, my brother. They're calling Honorable L. Ron Hubbard now. Well, like I guess I know that, but the point for me, what I was saying is, for us, we see two types of slavery. We're not trying to categorize freedom. There is no apprenticeship to freedom. So we see two types, legal and illegal. Illegal is the type that requires police to enforce laws, as sex trafficking, right. child slavery, all these right. uh, different illegal forms of slavery. And then there's legal right. slavery, which is enacted by right. the state itself upon the people, and that requires right. abolitionists because of the very fact that it is legal. You can't call a cop, <laughs> but you right. do need abolitionists for that. So for us, that's how we divide. Yeah, no, no, so I get that, and I understand that legal legalness, legality, right is 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 an is it's something that is contextual. So what's legal in the sixties is not legal now. And yes. you know, people can write rules, they can write right and they can switch that up. You know, it was you know, segregation was legal, it's not legal now. But what I'm trying to say is even at some point, even symbolic reasons, the thirteenth you know, all you know, this whole thing with was was kind of um justifying a certain kind of slavery under uh, imprisonment. Even if we address that, I still think there's some important slavery issues that we have to talk about. We and are slavery of and slavery of the mind. You know, I'm not making any indictment. I'm not pointing where, yeah. what, what. I'm just talking. I'm talking to myself in my own work. Yeah, right? That's yeah. why I'm doing the slave plantation. Like, all of these things got to come together, right? Uh, and exactly. It's work it's this unified thing I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So it's this idea is that we're gonna have to face how a mental bondage has really held us back in so many ways and coming out of a a, a system and culture of slavery it's like how do we move that and so the arts become very important the politics become very important and how do we create new rituals to help redefine and shape who we are as a people you follow what I'm saying and I think that's very because social justice and the pursuit of happiness was this, the pursuit of freedom should be core to the experience of descendants of slaves. You see what I'm saying? That 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 is like almost a birthright type situation, and I think that needs to be instilled it's on the sad. very. Co- co- it's sad that it isn't though. Like on a very right, large exactly. scale, we forget people. As soon as they are convicted Anybody that's behind bars or in prison Is deserving of death That's the very thoughts that we have It doesn't matter what happened to them No matter what they did, they got convicted They're no right. good anymore And we right, allow right, anything right. to happen to those brothers and, and sisters behind right. prison That's absolutely walls. right That's absolutely right. And, and if that's I could just throw something in here real quick You know uh, Listening to you speak I'm, uh, It, it, it uh, makes me think of Dr. Joy DeGrasse 
you know, post-traumatic slave syndrome series, her books and her speeches and everything, because it is real. We do carry uh, slavery in our minds. The trauma, right? Historic, yeah. Historical practices. Right. Uh, here's Here's one example that she gives in her series where she talks about when – a, a black mother and a white mother come together and they want to speak about their children. And the black mother asks the white mother, well, how's your, how's, you know, little Johnny doing? And she said, Oh, Johnny's great. He's, you know, he's made the soccer team. He's getting all A's. She talks so highly of him. But then right. when the white mother asked about her child, the black, the black mother will say, Oh, that boy is no good. He's, right. he's giving me so much trouble. And that goes back to when, the children were being separated from their parents to be sold at auction. One of the things the mothers would do is talk down about the child. He's lame. He's lazy. He's not going to do anybody any good. And that's right. definitely something that got carried on. And it gets pushed generation after generation right. without right. people right. even knowing it. But I also right. want to think back to what you, the, the statement that Max read earlier from your Grand Unified Theory where it says I'm hunting down your symbols and bringing them to justice like you were coming through my community looking for black men to hang. Right. It's still happening. Right. It's still happening. They're still coming through our communities and hunting us down, not to hang, although it's still happening, but they're coming through our communities looking for bodies to warehouse in these prisons because right. our bodies are still worth a certain amount of money. Right, that's and right. so that's why we talk about the Thirteenth Amendment because when we abolish that, that takes that away. Yes, we do have things that we have to deal with internally amongst ourselves, the way we think, right. the way we treat each other. Very right. important. Right, that's, or the way everybody else treats us too. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know, it's, <laughs> yep. it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. You know. Just, even if you got rid mm-hmm. of all the, even if you got rid of the, the the prison system, and you got rid of cops, you know, you know, we got some. I think also some other fundamental things that we have to address. And my whole point, as Max knows, it's like taking a universal approach in terms of mm-hmm. holistic, you know, yes. like the, the, yeah, holistic approach, right? Stuff, you know, like now, that's brain, right? The right. brain process all kinds of information at the same time. That's why you can scratch your toe and then also try to play, do a chess move. You know what I'm saying? Like we can do lots of different things. And we have to do that's that. What, that. Yeah, that's what higher organisms do. That's why I, I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And then I'm over here doing but we all are part of the big brain, you know what I'm saying? Trying to move and guide our culture. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to guide this culture. Just tuning in, we're here with John Sims, myself, Max Parthas, Yusuf Asanya, listening to Abolition Today. And they may be a little lost because it's kind of a, a, a back and forth you and I have been having for some time. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and right, right, what right, you, right. you said to me. So basically the way the story goes is, you know, I'm an abolitionist, slavery abolitionist. That's what this program is right. about. That's what we organize. We see that as the core issue of our problems and once we deal with that everything will uh, be affected right. by that because it's so interconnected right. 
And since I've known you, that's who I've been, and I have been bugging the hell out of you. I'll be like, John, right, please right. say something. You come to your house. <laughs> right, 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 right. Mention right. us, man. Tell hey, hey, you know, and I'll be like, like, yo, back, <laughs> yo. <laughs> I'll be like, like, man, let me do this surgery over here instead, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we at. I mean, but I think it's, you know, it's like like we all want big brain. You know, we all are self, brain cells trying to pull this all together. And and I think it's important for us. You know, my view is there is a holistic element to this. You follow what I'm saying? And some of these things are isomorphic. Like, when you take... The, the issues around the 13th Amendment, and I think that should be applied to the Scientology. And some of these religious, <laughs> no, no, straight up, no, straight up. You follow what I'm saying? Take Did the you say the mind. evangelical Christians? <laughs> I mean, add them in too. Like, it's so amazing. It's so amazing how herd mentality people are. Let me say that correctly. Mm-hmm. White evangelical Christians. The ones that's asking for the angels from Africa and South America to come help Trump. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, like, no, but this is this is what I'm saying, man. It's like this herd mentality where the stuff that the Scientologists believe, like when you die, your, your soul go to Venus, a holding thing and then it goes here and people believe that was their core you follow what I'm saying I'm watching them believe slavery ended I know what you mean like the slavery right in front of their faces and they're like slavery ended in 1865 you didn't see that man go by in chains (laughs) right exactly yeah yeah, so yeah so so the thing is is that you know you know my approach is to be able to kind of like Think about how all these things are have blurry boundaries and move across spaces, and you know when you, um, you know deal with someone. Here's another thing, you know, because you know I, you know I've done a lot of math education and stuff, and one of the ways that white supremacy um, plays out is that, you know, it uses like incredible things like mathematics. As instruments of white supremacy, right? Think about it. You know, math is also like visual mathematics. Well, if you look at an IQ test, it's basically a visual math test for the most part. And so you use this mathematical stuff and you're able, your, your, your capacity to do well in it, becoming a gauge for intelligence and predictive success and blah, blah, blah. And so that becomes a gatekeeper. So if you don't get through algebra, calculus, you ain't gonna, they ain't going to let you into medical school. I'm saying? Right. You ain't going to law school. This is a right. certain kind of like genocide that's happening right in right in front of you and you don't even see it. How many dreams are being crushed and how pe- people's like vocations and careers are being crushed and annihilated right there in ninth grade and tenth grade. You I'm along that line that if you destroy the roots, you won't be seeing the fruits. That's yeah. where I'm at. Well, so, you know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so my so part of the what I see part of the root is is the, is the idea that people from a particular culture, right? People from a particular culture run supreme. They're better at this. <laughs> They're better at that. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like, how we mm-hmm. started our program with that crap. Because 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 if you think critically, 
When you start thinking about, like, okay, we're going to put you in prison. All right, that might not work. We'll send you off to fight in Vietnam. You follow what I'm saying? Like, yes, right. As long as you're you spending know, it the like idea, The idea of, of, being, of, of, of pulling people in to do labor, whether it's over here making lights in place or over here shooting up people over here, it becomes a very idea is, listen, we treat you like that because we believe you are less than. We believe you are not as smart as. You right. know what I'm saying? That's Expendable. Why we, that's, yeah, that's why we can get away with this. That's why we can sell this. You see what I'm saying? Because we do the testing. We do this. We do that. And so when you get locked up, they're like, yo, he's not that smart. Or he's that blah, blah, blah. They play into that. Or, or when you get killed, they pull out information about whatever the worst thing that a person did Absol- within their life. Absolutely. And then, if you know, all oh, this part, you know, da, 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 da. And so if that becomes part of the, the, the narrative that black folks are not as smart as or these black young kids are not da, 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 then there's less of a reaction about trapping them up and putting them in the building. You know what I'm saying? Or, or not only that, <laughs> trapping them up and sending them to Afghanistan when they know some of them going to get murdered anyway. You're an artist as well Like an audio artist And I got one of your tracks And I want to play it so our audience can hear it And when we come back on the other side Looks like we got a couple people on the line If you do want to ask a question, make a comment Be sure to press 1 Would you be willing to take a question or 2 from the audience? Absolutely, absolutely Awesome, so what we're going to do is go ahead and take Our music break featuring you, John Sims All right, let's do it With the Burn and Berry music video uh, version 2, right? Right, that's right. Remix. Version 2. We'll be back. We're on Abolition today after this. Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
Abolition Abolition You just heard Burn and Berry music video A John Sims Project Version 2 With our current guest Artist, mathematician, and international media news contributor, Jonathan Sims, or John Sims. Let's continue the conversation with uh, Max Parthas, myself, and John Sims. Uh, first, I'd like to say, great track, man. I have to hunt down and find version one, you know, and yeah, because, yeah, that's tough, and that fits yeah, right yeah. in with with the type of music that we play here on Abolition yeah, today. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that. And you, first, you saw the uh, uh, it's a video. You got to check the video out. It's pretty, yeah, uh, I'm going to check all of that out. And for yeah, those who are listening in, you can listen to our Abolitionist Music playlist. You can find it on our YouTube page, Abolition Today. And we actually right. have a full list of songs just like that. And right. I'm... I can't wait until you guys get into the conversation more about Burn and Berry because I'm I'm loving yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, man, that's an awesome track. I remember when we played version two back uh, over at Black Talk Radio Network when we was doing New Abolitionist Radio, and you were right, with us right. there. So you know we've been rolling for a minute now. On these yeah, that's right. We've been that's getting this right. work done for sure, yeah, man. And and this year I'm going to be doing Burn and Berry from. A, um, a a legendary theater um, in New York, Lower East Side, and uh, I'm excited about that. So, yeah, man, I'm gonna have to be I'm gonna pe- be be coming at you guys so we can do this again. You know what I mean? Well, this yeah, I want to give people good, an so. opportunity to, if they ha- have a question or comment, uh, just press star uh, one on your keypad. <clears throat> and also, if you're listening and you want to call in, it's five one five six zero five nine eight one four. I see a, a friend up there with 2444. If you want to ask something, just press one. We see you in town. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> man, you know, I did tell you that today we want to drop some math, right? The mathematics of right, oppression. Right, uh, right, right. Guess John Sims. And you're a mathematician, right. so I know you could appreciate right, right. the yeah, double intron days yeah. going on there. Uh, right, that's so right. I want to start out, if you don't mind, by actually playing yeah. another clip of a New York okay, cool. Police Department cop who was caught working with drug cartels. And this is recent news. It's only about two minutes, but I want to go right, into detail yeah, with you it, on yeah. that. So let's let's listen to that real quick. Remember, right, 515-605-9814. We'll be right back. We are following a developing story right now. An NYPD officer under arrest accused of conspiring to import and distribute cocaine. CBS 2's Hazel Sanchez working this developing story now live in Jamaica, Queens. Hazel. Yeah, Maurice and Christine, Officer Amari Abreu was supposed to be upholding the law while working here in the 113th Precinct, but instead federal prosecutors say he was breaking it by allegedly helping a multinational drug operation import and distribute cocaine here in New York. Federal prosecutors say from January 2016 until October this year, 34-year-old NYPD officer Amori Abreu of Hophog, Long Island, used his policing expertise to help a multinational drug ring stay one step ahead of the law. 
while other alleged members of the operation distributed the cocaine after it arrived in New York. Abreu, while assigned to the 113th Precinct in Queens, allegedly provided them with law enforcement intel, including a heads-up on warrant checks involving members of the group. Prosecutors say he was in regular contact with high-ranking members of the unidentified drug organization, even traveling to the Dominican Republic to meet with them. In January 2016, Abreu allegedly reached out to the group's leadership, saying, Today I'm going to find out the thing I couldn't yesterday because there were too many people at the office. Prosecutors say drug enforcement agents have seized more than 350 kilos of cocaine from the organization. Acting U.S. Attorney Seth Ducharme saying by joining forces with his co-conspirators, Abreu has allegedly committed serious crimes, disgraced his NYPD badge, and betrayed the public trust as well as fellow members of law enforcement who put their lives on the line to interdict drugs that endanger our communities. NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea adding, there is no place for corruption in the NYPD and it will always be prosecuted fully. Amoria Abreu and four of his co-conspirators were arrested this morning. Abreu is being arraigned at this hour. He pleaded not guilty to all of the charges. He is a nine-year veteran of the NYPD and he has been suspended without pay. We're live in Jamaica, Queens. Hazel Sanchez, CBS 2 News. You just heard wow. the news clip, and uh, wow. this New York Police Department cop is working directly with the cartel. And you know, there's right. more to that story, uh, John. He was released recently on a million-dollar bond against wow. the advice of the district attorney. The judge released him anyway, a million-dollar bond. So that means he got to come up with a hundred grand, right? Well, basically, not even him. It means that the the Police Benevolence Association has got to come up with a hundred grand. And they yeah, He's yeah, the, out. the union is going to bail him out. No way they're going to leave one of their own sitting in jail. He's already out, and there was no mention of anything about checking his record to see how much, how many people have suffered falsely incarcerated by him, framed by this crooked cop. None of that. Right. And he's walking the street now where he can kill people. Who are connected if possible, if, if if he needs to, you know. Right, right. We're, we're not right. talking about this guy hanging out with the drug dealers on the corners. He was working with the crime cartels over in, in other nations. <laughs> right, right, right. That's and crazy. I'm in New York, so there was no coverage. You know, I'm in New York. There was no coverage of this. Right, right. I mean, the city's just so corrupt across the board. You know what I mean? It's just it's. It's, it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? But the other thing is the kind of corruption that's happening on Wall Street, they don't even go to they don't even get arrested. <laughs> you know well, what I'm saying? Wall oh Street is God. murderous, but they're not walking around with guns shooting people, you know? And all the time when you when you hear stories like this, the first thing they talk about is that bad apple, right? That, you know, they right. say something like ninety nine percent of police are decent people and only a few Cops right. are bad, but I don't know where they get these numbers from. Are they pulling it out of their behind? Is what they want to mm-hmm. think is real? Every year, as many cops are arrested and charged as there are people killed by police. Between 1,100 and 1,500 cops are arrested every single damn year, and I think that number is underrepresented. And we know that there's right. a million policemen in the United States, and by most reports, based on hard data. Somewhere between 90,000 and 150,000 police are corrupt. And in what world is that a few? 
That is a freaking standing army. You wouldn't have that many corrupt doctors killing people. You wouldn't have that many corrupt right. nurses, that many corrupt firemen. That's 15%, man. Go. Yeah, it's, That's it's 15%. a huge number. It's a yeah, huge number. So, 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 so what's up? So what's the deal? Like, so what do we do? Well, we look at this entire system as slave catchers because right. whether they like that term or not, that's what they are. And I know right. because of individualism, because of individualism, it doesn't really dawn on them the contributions they make to yeah. a larger whole. So I've asked policemen that I know how many bad rests do they make on average a year? And the average number right. that I've gotten is about three, you know? And when I say bad arrests, it's where they regret it. Like you, you feel like you shouldn't have did that or you wish you could, didn't have to do right. it if it wasn't for you right. having to do your job. And they said about right. three, which to them, you know, a year is not a big deal, but multiply that time right. a million. <laughs> right, right. You know, the whole judicial system, man, the court system, all of that cash big on all that. You know, it's just it's kind of fucked up. It's you know? it's a machine, and they, this fifteen right. percent or so feeds that machine. And then who do they feed it to? A court system where ninety five percent of all prosecutors are white, where eighty eight percent of all police are white, where seventy one percent of all judges are white, but only four right. percent of the nation's population, black men, make up nearly forty percent of inmates in prison. And those are the right. hard numbers, you know. Right. <clears throat> right. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. As a mathematician, what do you have to say? (laughs) Look, man, this is like basic arithmetic. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, this is the basic arithmetic. But, you know, it's like, I mean, obviously, you know, they're making money off of rest. They're creating, uh, you know, like a pipeline. They're also having these cops out here for visual terrorism. We got that element, you know what I'm saying? It's just it's kind of complex, and I think definitely the the whole system of American policing, as it relates to the American judicial system, has to be like confronted and reevaluated and recreated, and we need to be a part of that, not just as protesters, but we need people up in there, you know, willing to write write stuff like legislation, right? You know, that, I mean, that's where it's going to happen. And that's why I think you should run for some office, my brother, Max. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I like, no, like, no, 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 listen to what I'm saying. Say that again. Tell him again, man. Tell him again. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? What we really need to do is move into a space where we get people like ourselves who are in positions of power, particularly writers. We need to be writing some hip-hop legislation. You follow what I'm saying? We need to be out mm-hmm. there, like, making our words part of the law. The good news part is we're the, doing cause, that. Because the law, because the law, the law is about the codes. You follow what I'm saying? The and good so news is, we brother, wanna, we're doing that. Right. We're and, doing and that. And this is important. Yeah, yeah it, it, this is important. So when you running, man, I'll, so I can send my little I, contribution, I'm, man. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I'm going to tell you the honest What you going to be running for, bro? If, if I can abolish slavery in the state I live in, then I'd be willing to run even up to for president in 2024. But, but, no, but, but this I is what can't I'm saying. possibly what, what, do what it. I'm, what I'm saying is, why don't you run 
for state rep, state senator, some shit like that, and then you can help you can help push state legislation to deal with the laws you want to rescind. I can't do none of that until I'm in a state where slavery is illegal. Because if I did, I'd be a liar the minute that I took the oath to swear to protect the rights guaranteed in the Constitution when I know at least a half a dozen of them don't even exist anymore. So that would be me standing there lying to people, and I can't do that. So we've got to abolish slavery in the state I live in, and then I can run for office because I'm not going to get out here perpetrating a fraud or being an oath breaker like all of these that I see around me right now. But look, you know, check this out, though. Okay, okay, wait, wait. Now we're going to get into some real mathematics. Now, like, let me, yeah, this is fun, right? <laughs> because here's the thing. Because you are on the outside, right? You on the outside want to make these changes. You want these laws to be changed. Somebody got to push those laws to be changed. It's not going to just happen from demonstrators, right? Somebody got to, they're going to have to like write laws. Yeah, we're working with legislators and, and, all yeah, across America exactly. to do that. But mm-hmm. the point is, you are working with legislators who have agreed to uphold the Constitution, you follow what I'm saying, that you fundamentally disagree with, and you want them to fundamentally disagree with too. You follow what I'm saying? No. And maybe no, they do, and, and that's why I, they're changing it. You see what I'm I saying? I don't disagree with the Constitution. I want us to have the same protection that everyone else has. Our rights are not protected. Like the Sixth Amendment don't exist. 97% no, but, of all but what I'm saying is some cases in the plea bargain. I guess what I'm saying is is that there's some elements of the Constitution that you disagree with, and that's why you don't want to run for office because you have to get the out there and say you yes. uphold this Constitution and you feel like you're making a contradiction. You see what I'm saying? Right. And so yes. that's that, – that, right. And what, but what I'm saying is you're also working with legislators who want to change some of these roles. They don't agree with them, right, but they're upholding a process to to to, to – to make these constitutions better, whether they're in this state or that state or the federal constitution or whatever. What I'm saying is I still think there's a way to get you to run that you are want to change the constitution. And I think that's fair. I think that's uh I think your I hear mind you, brother. Needs, I hear you. I think your mind <laughs> needs to be I wanna see you in the state senate in South Carolina. Appreciate. Yeah, both, uh, out, both, both parts of the chamber. You I feel you, bro. We're, I mean, we're working out, now, bro. Now you know I, I, mean, I come from I being think, an I anarchist. That, yeah, but <laughs> and I now you want me to run office. Listen, listen. You can run as a performance artist, run as a real statesman, <laughs> run as all of that. And I think get your campaign, raise some money. This is the time to do it, my brother. This is it's, the it's, time it, to it, do it. Happening, so. Man. So evidently, this conversation has uh, generated a question or a comment from one of our listeners. So I'd like right. to bring in uh, 2444. You're now on Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and John Sims. Welcome to the show. Hi, this is Savannah. Hey, Savannah. Hey, Savannah. Hey, guys. Hey. I wasn't going to hey. say anything until y'all started talking about Max running for office, and I had to chime in. <laughs> Uh, I'm totally in agreement with that, Max. And I hear you with uh, all these logical reasons why you should wait. But uh, 
There's no greater time than the present, my friend. That's what so, I'm saying, my let's brother. Let's make it happen. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> brother. Yeah, now, Bobby, brother. You, see, you know that Savannah, Savannah is on the job. She <laughs> wanted to get all abstract to talk math. We will. We want to talk about like running for office, and then we can raise some money and change some real numbers. You follow me, man? This is a here. I might take that. <laughs> but, 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 this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's like you have been on all sides of the conflict. You know what I'm saying? Being on outside as protester, as artist advocate, and I think you come, you can come to that political table, that legislative <laughs> table, with the particular fire and history and passion to be able well, to move the code. To move the legislative I, you know, codes to a place that they need to be, so that some of these things we're talking about can really fucking happen. You see what I'm saying? I feel you on that, Otherwise, and I don't want to focus uh, cause, on uh, me. All we really doing, all, in my mind, is all we really doing is circulating the trauma. You know, sitting around talking and talking and getting up, blah blah blah, and incremental. But the thing we got to be a part of where the codes are being recoded. You know, I don't want to center this conversation around me running for office. I, I no, feel you no, on that. No, 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 no. But let me just no, say no, this. Because, no, because this is the beauty of activism, where there's a critical, like, rupture, right, of reality to move towards the future. And this is what I'm saying, like some Afrofuturistic shit, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I have been moving towards the future, man. I went from being an anarchist, and look where I'm at now. But I also like to look at myself... <laughs> as an example of being able to get things done without having to be a politician. Because we've gotten a lot done without me being a politician. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? If you are influencing policy on some level, you are part, you know, you might not be an active politician, right? You not, might not be writing policy. Yeah. You'd be like Merlin up lobbyists there. Lobbyists are influencing policy. Protesters are Influence what really needs to happen at this point is real direct active policy makers and writers who can bring the force of our language to the to the landscape of of American laws. We got we right. gotta be a part of that conversation. And I think you are in a position in South Carolina where you can lead that language discussion in a very important way because language matters to you it matters to, not to everybody you know what I'm saying but language to matters a poet. to you yeah well of course yeah. you're a poet Definitely. so my point is is that we need to be in those spaces when we're writing those languages and, and also in those spaces that we have people who are sympathetic to the cause who are judges you see what I'm saying that's going to be the greatest gift if you got abolitionists who are also cops Abolitionists who are also judges. Uh-huh. I, yeah, man, think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. Well, that's Slave the goal. I mean, it's definitely a goal to, to have yeah, abolitionists yeah, but, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. And so my point is the abolitionist as a policymaker. And the policymakers are the ones who are writing the codes, you know, and I think yes. I think Max should be a part of that in a, ma- in a major way. Right. Well, yeah. and, and organizing... Organizing is the foundation of policy work, right? Because right. those are the boots on the ground. You know, it, it's a it's a huge part of the grassroots movement. So, 
Um, I'm still in agreement, Max. I'm not changing my mind. All right. <laughs> I'll sign off with that. Good evening. Uh, right, right. Just Good evening. Thanks, thanks, for, thank thanks you for your so call, Savannah. Yeah, yeah. Stick around to hear the rest of the conversation, though. Let's consider yeah, this period yeah. right here where I'm getting everything I need to get ready for me to be able to do these things. I don't just want to step in any old way. I, I'm going to come in right. So that's what we're doing. Well, yeah, but, I, but here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. Okay. Now, all right. We're making some movement. Radio land. We make this movie here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, he went from nah, nah, nah to like, you know, to like, okay, I got to get ready. I got to strut in a certain way. Yeah, right? yeah. I got to come in in a state <laughs> wait, where wait, slavery wait, wait. is illegal, Matt, man. Matt, no, listen, listen. Matt, you are already ready. We need you now. This is what I'm saying. Uh, we need you okay, now. That's... You know what I'm saying? And I, and I think, and I think, I like our brother who passed away, you were already saying he was he's he's ready for politics. He was gonna run for this, gonna run for that. You know that dude's heart was in the right direction. You were you were you were pushing him in the right direction. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? We need but we needed folks like him, we need folks like you to be in those spaces where the laws are being created and old laws are being shredded and shedded and and and, and emptied. And so it's, I think you need you know, we need to be a part of that. You know what I'm saying? And, I'm with um, you, brother. And, and so, this, so that's what I'm saying, and that's part, that's the mathematics. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got the you. Mathematics, that's the mathematics. It's, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like Max how plus do we find ourselves? We can, ass kicking. <laughs> there yeah, it is. That's today's yeah, that's math. What, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, how do we get the spaces that we can keep adding them ones? You know what I'm saying? And um, and, and, and you know, and I think I think that's. That's, this is a beautiful time, you know. You know, we push it in so many different levels, right? You know, we got you know, in the arts and the literature, but I think this is we're we're in the middle of a political renaissance, like the one you had in Harlem. I think we're in the middle of a political renaissance where people are writing legislations. They are getting people. Look what happened with Stacey Abrams. Come on. The, the young like lady that, that was just on Savannah Eldridge literally wrote legislation like twice now. She's on her second one. Mm-hmm. She's working to remove to add anti-slavery language into the Texas Constitution. Uh, yeah, so that's her organization, Be Frank for Justice. And for and for her to get on the radio and tell you that you need to be uh, be on the, this is what's up. So that's what I'm saying. We need and you know it ain't one of those things where you got to do this forever. You go in, you do your thing. You circulate out, and then you're doing something else. But I, I think we need you, to see you. In, we need to see you in that space at some moment in time. You know, today was supposed to be about you, right? What? Today was supposed to be about you, right? You know that, right? Oh no, 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 no. no. So, but, but, but here's the thing. I, I do want to toot along. I, I do want to say this, though. Check this out. So. You know, I wrote those three op-ed pieces because I've been doing a lot of a writing because cause I realized that art has its limits, you know, showing in galleries or whatever and museums and all that and, and being able to write stuff and get people excited about stuff and seeing how legislators also have a certain kind of like cultural shaping power. I think that's also important. But I did those three op-ed pieces. I got a call from some guys from Panama and they were like, we saw your whole thing about this um, – slave memorial that you want to do um, we're down here in Panama we want to do we want to invite you to help us create a, a, a monument to the Afro 
uh, Panamanians to help build the um, the Panama Canal. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, that's what's Yo, up. That's what's up. You follow that's me? That's what's up. Yeah. I can see and you and doing my point it is I, that ha- that happened you. because that happened not because you know that happened because I'm right and I'm getting out there. But see, the thing is, it's like when people see that you making trying to make systemic moves. I think that 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 catches in a very serious way, you know right. what I mean. That complexity so, yeah, like theory comes it, in. Make, make make it systemic moves. The, the idea mm-hmm. that I'm trying to like reimagine. Not, think about it. I'm going from reimagining a Confederate flag, which was my thing from the beginning, right? Red, black, and green. To now reimagining to doing slave memorials, a, a slave plantation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like. See, see, see the see the travel there. It took me twenty years to get there, man. But that's, but also the country's ready for that. They're ready for. Well, that. listen, I have a question. It's been burning in my mind the entire conversation, and you guys aren't getting to it for me. So I want to know how do you hang a Confederate flag? Oh, from a thirteen foot gallows, my brother. <laughs> From a big tall yeah. gallows. <laughs> yeah, from a new <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> That's what I did. So, because so when I saw that, that, I said, you know what? I gotta I can't wait to hear this. Yeah, yeah. So Google that man, you'll see I did that in Gettysburg, two thousand four. Yep. Amen. Hey John, and, uh, we're, we are coming up towards the end of the, our, our discussion part and I yes, wanna give you yes. some, a few minutes to say whatever you wanna say and to let people know how they can find out more about you and follow your work and assist and support yeah, you yeah, everything yeah. that you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely on johnsamsproject.com, a website. You can see me on Twitter at John Sims Project, no S, just singular. And then with the S, John Sims Project, you can hit me up on Instagram. You know, um, and I think right now we are, and we're talking just a little bit about the Slave Memorial, the Slave Memorial. The idea is I redid the markers, uh, and uh, and then I also did a um, I got you the whole animation what it looks like, and I'm going to be presenting that pretty soon. But also on the on the sugar cane part of it, the idea is to have this this world's largest Afro Confederate flag flying over this former uh, sugar cane hmm. uh, plantation, and then we have marker we have these obelisks these black obelisks of the names of the slaves that occupy that space. And so I think every single slave plantation should have the names of the slaves who work that space. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that should be a federal mandate. And um, so I'm working, so I'm working with that, you know, like the creating these, these obelisks, these markers that was a cool, who were in these spaces, and that'll help us trace our history back too. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's that, that's going to be some future projects there. I want to close by saying that I um, completely, uh, with great honor, want to challenge the great Max here to run for <laughs> office to take that space and help lead the state of South Carolina to a better space a very uh, abolitionistic space. And um, I look forward to being a contributory to that process and to that victory. 
because we need to be in those spaces where the laws are being written and the codes of our American democracy is churning. So I, I you know, I want to make myself available for that. And anyone else out there in Radio Land, it's like if you see how can you be involved in, 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 in the in the political landscape, then get involved because now is the time as we move into this like uh, political uh, renaissance period, particularly for Black folks. So I think this is exciting. All right, my brother. Yusuf, anything you nah, want to say, John? Before that? Nah, I just uh, want to thank the brother. You know, for all of the information, it was a great conversation and. You know, unfortunately, we don't have the time. Like, I could see the three of us just sitting around for hours, you know, <laughs> discussing this stuff and throwing mathematics in there because all three of us are mathematicians. You know? Right, right. So, you know, we can really go really far with this. And, you know, although our position is strictly geared towards the 13th Amendment, we're not discounting. Well, I can speak for myself, and I'm pretty sure Max is in his, as as well. We're not discounting your your theory of dealing with slavery of the mind and of the spirit, you know. But our position is dealing with the Thirteenth Amendment. But I definitely would love to sit down and talk with you about the other two aspects because we are right. made up, you know, mind, body, and spirit. So yeah, I, I know that would be a great conversation. But Absolutely. definitely thank you for coming on. Uh, it was great having you, you here. And, right. you know, definitely keep in touch. Anything you have going on, you know, let us know. Yeah, you know, right. and uh, any information you want to get out to the people or any new music, definitely hit us up with some new music. Yeah, I got some new music coming. I'll let all right. I'll yeah. right. hear that soon. I want, to right, repeat my co-ho- I want to repeat my co-host's sentiments. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to you coming down here again so we can get this Burn and Berry uh, popping all over again. So, you know, the door is open bro. here at the PCAC. we got a place all for you right. to stay. Come on down, man. We love you, brother. And all we're right, keep man. All right, my brother. Don't forget Peace to mention us sometime. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> We're going to go into Pellerino, written and performed by Abby Odun Oyewole of The Last Poets. And when we come back, we're going to drop some more of the mathematics of what's happening in the United States. So once again, Pellerino, written and performed by Abby Odun Oyewole. Abolition. Chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. 
must prepare and learn how to care For soon we'll be there where our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey yeah. And made it through my journey Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah Abolition. 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 Abolition.
Mm-hmm. You just heard Pellerino from the CD Evolution of the Vibe by the Senegal American Project and Bidoui Boo Best, music lyrics and poetry written and performed by Abby Oduno Iwole, produced by Tony Vaca for World Rhythms Productions. And he was talking about the first slave market in the New World. And uh, for those who don't know, he's one of the last poets, Abby Odun Oyewole, a member of the last poets, also my mentor. And it must have been amazing for him to go to Pellerino, where he shot this video, and to read this poetry and, and produce this work. You could hear it in his voice. Yusuf? Yeah, man. <laughs> that, you know, as as I'm... Uh... Listening to that, it re- it reminded me of the time, you know, I was in Senegal, you know, and I, I, you know, I went to the door of no return. I mean, it's just something that you can't explain it. Just that feeling. He made and it through hearing his, his lyrics, it, yeah, hearing his lyrics mm-hmm. just took me back there. And I mean, it's been over twenty five years since I've been there. You know, I've been back to Senegal since, but I can't go there again. It's just, yeah, it's just too much. Just too much. And, yeah, very powerful song, Max. Yeah. uh, It's just, it is powerful. God bless, brother. All right, so I said I want to drop some more facts. I'm not going to drop the whole thing. It's a lot, but I'm going to post it on our Abolition Today page for anybody, researchers, anyone that wants to know. But I'm going to, in alphabetical order, give you some of the data, uh, at least eight or nine different states. And what I'm providing at this point is the incarceration rates per 100,000 of each state next to its population distribution by race, and it's called the Incarceration Nation in Black and White. We have this in text as well as uh, music poetry, where we also uh, provide the same visual imagery along with music and poetry. So let's start with Alabama. Alabama is 70% white. It's 27% black, and yet blacks are incarcerated at 3.5 to 1. In Alaska, it's 67% white. 4% black and blacks are incarcerated at 4.3 to 1. In Arizona, it is 84% white, 5% black, and blacks are incarcerated at 5.6 to 1. In Arkansas, 80% white, 16% black, and yet they're incarcerated at 4 to 1. California, 73% white, 6.5% black, and they are incarcerated at 6.5 to 1. Colorado, 88% 88% white, 5% black, incarcerated at 7 to 1. Connecticut, 82% white, incarcerated at 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Delaware, 71% white, 22% black, incarcerated at 7 to 1. And in the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., where blacks make up 43% or 49% of the population and whites make up 44 the incarceration rates are 19 to 1. For every one white person, there are 19 black people being incarcerated. And this is just number 10, and I'm going to stop in Florida. You can read the rest of it to see where your state stands in this list. In Florida, it's 78% white. It's 17% black, and they are incarcerated at 4.5 to 1. There is not a state in the union, regardless of population distribution, where whites are incarcerated more than blacks. Every single one of them. 
Some of them as high as nineteen to one, others in three and four to one. Yusuf? That's the mathematics of oppression right there. Exactly. You just showed the mathematics of it. And you know, when people say Oh, it's, you know, they have every excuse to give, but they never back it with any facts. Usually their retort is, I think, I feel, or some logical fallacy that's been spread across news media or social media, but they never come with hardcore facts. And what you just put out there are hardcore facts. Just like we've been doing, you know, by the way, this happens to be our eight-month anniversary today that we've been on the air. And for the past eight months, every single Sunday, we've laid laid out facts, not opinions, not what we think, not what we feel, but hardcore facts. And usually the facts are coming from the perpetrators of whatever we're presenting, the oppressors. We bring it straight from their own mouths. So, yeah, and it's appropriately named episode, The Mathematics of Oppression. Well, Yusuf, it's time for us to just shut it down, man. Thank our sponsors, do our quotes for the evening, and then get into yes, our Bridging the yes, Gap sir. segment, part two. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Henry Holland Garnet, man. So powerful what he was saying. So uh, let's start with, if you want to start with thanking our sponsors for the week, and then we'll get into our show. Sure, Absolutely. Uh, as, as always, you know, we, we thank our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, and that reminds me that I have to reach out to Crystal Roundtree just to check on her. Uh, Say My Urge, the Quakers Upleading, Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. How about that, Max? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Prismatic Dreams. You know, so thank you to our sponsors because you all are the reason we're here. All right, and uh, yes, big shout out to our sponsors and also to our, our brothers, uh, Punks for Pro- Progress out there, who are doing that damn thing. Yes. And here's my quote for the evening, and I'm taking it straight out of what you're going to hear tonight. Let me just say I'm doing it like a duet, so you, can, when you hear it, you know it was powerful. And it's from Henry Highland Garnet, and he said, brethren, the time has come when you must act for yourselves. It is an old and true saying that if hereditary bondmen would be free... They must themselves strike the blow. You can plead your own cause and do the work of emancipation better than any others. The nations of the world are moving in the great cause of universal freedom, and some of them at least will before long do you justice. Yusuf? Mm, That was powerful, Max. (laughs) That was powerful. Uh, So my closing quote, it's called, it, it comes from Kilroy J. Oldster, and it's from his book, Dead Told Squirrels. Acts of brutality committed by the ruling elite and systemic oppression of the weak stain every era of civilization. Ethnic wars and religious cleansing still exist in the 21st century. Just as insidious as state-sponsored murder is the escalating economic expansion that destroys the habitat and displaces the indigenous tribes' way of life under the false moniker of economic and social progress. So, Max, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you today, man. 
Indeed, man. And, we you had know, a ball. John Sims. Yeah, I was John just sitting Sims back and enjoying the conversation. And mm-hmm. Savannah. Yeah. And Savannah. Said, and I'm just going to say peace because we only got a couple minutes, man. And we got to get this uh, Bridging the Gap. It's 13 minutes long, so we got two minutes literally. Oh, yeah. So, so we're out of here. Let me just peace. go ahead and bring that in. Yes. <laughs> peace, Max. We'll be back on November 22nd for our season one finale, inshallah, God willing. We'll be joined by special guest Samuel Brown, who will tell you more about next week. You don't want to miss this episode. Uh, Don't forget to tune in live from the plantation. It airs at 7 p.m. Central every Thursday night right here on Abolition Today. And until then, remember to join the uh, movement to abolish slavery, abolishslavery.us, and subscribe to our Abolition Today YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition today. But all was in vain. Slavery had stretched its dark wings of death over the land. The church stood silently by. The priests prophesied falsely and the people love to have it so. Its throne is established, and now it reigns triumphant. Nearly three millions of your fellow citizens are prohibited by law and public opinion, which in this country is stronger than law, from reading the book of life. Your intellect has been destroyed as much as possible, and every ray of light they have attempted to shut out from your minds. The oppressors themselves have become involved in the ruin. They have become weak, sensual, and rapacious. They have cursed you. They have cursed themselves. They have cursed the earth which they have trod. The colonists threw the blame upon England. They said that the mother country entailed the evil upon them, and that they would rid themselves of it if they could. The world thought they were sincere, and the philanthropic pitied them. But time soon tested their sincerity. In a few years, the colonists grew strong and severed themselves from the British government. Their independence was declared, and they took their station among the sovereign powers of the earth. The declaration was a glorious document. Sages admired it, and the patriotic of every nation reverenced the godlike sentiments which it contained. When the power of government returned to their hands, Did they emancipate the slaves? No, they rather added new lengths to our chains. Were they ignorant of the principles of liberty? Certainly they were not. The sentiments of their revolutionary orators fell in burning eloquence upon their hearts, and with one voice they cried, Liberty or death! Oh, what a sentence was that! It ran from soul to soul like electric fire, and nerved the arm of thousands to fight in the holy cause of freedom. Among the diversity of opinions that are entertained in regard to physical resistance, there are but a few found to gainsay that stern declaration. We are among those who do not. Slavery! How much misery is comprehended in that single word! What mind is there that does not shrink from its direful effects Unless the image of God be obliterated from the soul, all men cherish the love of liberty. The nice discerning political economist does not regard the sacred right 
more than the untutored African who roams in the wilds of Congo. Nor has the one more right to the full enjoyment of his freedom than the other. In every man's mind, the good seeds of liberty are planted, and he who brings his fellow down so low as to make him contented with a condition of slavery commits the highest crime against God and man. Brethren, your oppressors aim to do this. They endeavor to make you as much like brutes as possible. When they have blinded the eyes of your mind, when they have embittered the sweet waters of life, then, and not till then, has American slavery done its perfect work. To such degradation it is sinful in the extreme for you to make voluntary submission. The divine commandments you are in duty bound to reverence and obey. If you do not obey them, you will surely meet with the displeasure of the Almighty. He requires you to love Him supremely and your neighbor as yourself, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to search the Scriptures, and bring up your children with respect for His laws, and to worship no other god but Him. But slavery sets all these at naught, and hurls defiance in the face of Jehovah. The forlorn condition in which you are placed does not destroy your moral obligation to God. You are not certain of heaven because you suffer yourselves to remain in a state of slavery where you cannot obey the commandments of the sovereign of the universe. If the ignorance of slavery is a passport to heaven, then it is a blessing and no curse, and you should rather desire its perpetuity than its abolition. God will not receive slavery nor ignorance, nor any other state of mind, for love and obedience to Him. Your condition does not absolve you from your moral obligation. The diabolical injustice by which your liberties are cloven down, neither God nor angels or just man command you to suffer for a single moment. Therefore, it is your solemn and imperative duty to use every means, both moral, intellectual, and physical, that promises success. If a band of heathen men should attempt to enslave a race of Christians and to place their children under the influence of some false religion, surely heaven would frown upon the men who would not resist such aggression, even to death. If, on the other hand, a band of Christians should attempt to enslave a race of heathen men, and to entail slavery upon them, and to keep them in heathenism in the midst of Christianity, the God of heaven would smile upon every effort which the injured might make to disenthrall themselves. Brethren, it is as wrong for your lordly oppressors to keep you in slavery as it was for the man-thief to steal our ancestors from the coast of Africa. You should, therefore, now use the same manner of resistance as would have been just in our ancestors when the bloody footprints of the first remorseless soul-thief was placed upon the shores of our fatherland. The humblest peasant is as free in the sight of God as the proudest monarch that ever swayed a scepter. Liberty is a spirit set out from God, and like its great author, is no respecter of persons. Brethren, the time has come when you must act for yourselves. It is an old and true saying that 
If hereditary bondmen would be free, they must themselves strike the blow. You can plead your own cause and do the work of emancipation better than any others. The nations of the world are moving in the great cause of universal freedom, and some of them at least will ere long do you justice. Do you justice. One lost, have you any clue? Uh. Have you no heart, no family too? Uh. No moms who birthed you, were you born from hell? Inquiries from the spirits of George Floyd, Sean Bell. Every black male who carry weight, barbell. Black girls too, young Roxanne Chantels. Like Tamika said, I don't care if they burn target. Where was the concern when black men was confirmed target? Instead of spending our hard-earned profit or institutions that don't bring solutions or contributions to freedom. Feeding us diabetes and heartburn, stop it. You don't love us, you love our artwork shopping. In Harlem at the Schomburg or the concert watching. Pushing me from Psalms 23rd to Mossberg popping. They still moss burning and cross burning another year. Trying to solve the same crossword problem. Another Arbery jogging, Breonna Taylor. Dapper than no ain't shit Gucci designer Taylor. Telling America you gonna love me, Tiana Taylor. Love is when freedom is the even denominator. Over 400 years later. And calling the 911 operators like calling Al-Qaeda. And y'all rather fight over toilet paper than human life. We stepping up, can't afford another ruined life. I'm not sad. I don't want your pity. 
I want change. Abolition. 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 No justice! No peace!